Well, please stand with me as we continue our worship with the reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I'm reading verses 23 through 26. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. That ends the reading. Please be seated. So this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time in the midst of our series, Love is While We Worship. I want to talk about what worship is. What is worship? And we're going to talk about sort of the reasons we worship, and then we're going to finish with then how we worship. But I want to start off with a little bit of what worship is, and according to the dictionary, worship is feeling or expression, a feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. A feeling or expression of reverence and adoration, and in particular, obviously, usually it's expressed to a deity. But not always, right? We can experience reverence and adoration to other things as well. Another definition is to declare something worthy. In fact, our English word worship comes from the Old English worth, the word worth, ship. And so it's to declare something worthy. And that's the original definition of this, of this word, that we would say something anything is worthy. It has value. And so this morning as we in particular talk about worship, we're talking about the worship that is required of us towards God. How we all are, by the nature of God, supposed to offer worship to him. In the Old Testament, there's several different words for worship. One is doxa, where we get doxology from. And doxa is really specifically created to God's character. That by God's very character, he demands our worship. And then there's yusubo, which is really more of a reverence. It's the idea of, of a respect. In fact, it's the very same word that's used in the Ten Commandments for honor your father and mother. Is the same word that's used many times for worship. So it's, it's this idea of a deep respect. Sometimes it's actually also referred to as the fear of the Lord. In the New Testament, we have about eight different words for worship, and they're all over the board, but the most common one is prosculio. And it's, it's this idea of bowing down or humbling yourself or prostrating yourself. I said prostrating, that's the wrong word. Prostrating. Please, don't go home and prostrate yourself. That's bad. <laughs> prostrate. The R is very important, right? And to, to humble yourself before God. Because that's what he deserves. And so when we look at all these different types of worship, all these different elements are incorporated into what we do as worship. We have a tendency, I think, 
in our culture to simply think of worship as what happens when we sing, right? The choir leads us in worship. But historically, what's been thought of as worship is far more than that. In fact, we're going to get into this more later, but the Bible tells us that our very lives are worship to God. And so let's dig in this morning and, and begin to talk about some of the reasons why we worship. Well, the first one is this. We worship because we were created for it. We were created to be worshipers. Our very uh, purpose in existence is, is to, to bring glory to God, to worship him. And that might sound uh, like, well, why would God create us simply to worship him? Isn't that like arrogant or isn't that, well, God alone is truly worthy of worship, right? And so we can't ascribe any of those types of characteristics to him because basically that's going to be our existence in heaven. When we pass to this next life, our life will be about being in the presence of God, experiencing his greatness and giving him the worship that he truly deserves. And so in this life, we were created to be worshipers. And I've said this before, we all worship in a variety of ways, right? I thought I had a picture here. But think about this. How many of you have been to a, a, a sporting event and the crowd goes wild, right? That's, that's an act of worship. It's adoring or devoting yourself. People are going insane. They're painting their bodies. They're raising their hands in the air, right? The same thing at a concert. I mean, I don't know that there's a better picture of worship than those old videos of these women going insane when the Beatles come out, right? I mean, seriously, they are going crazy, screaming, yelling, thrashing. Some of you might have been there. I don't know. Anyone? Oh, all right, we got a guilty party right here. Right? And, and there's this picture of just devoting yourself, this adoration. And yet we experience that also sometimes in church, right? We're praising, we're into the music, we're singing our hearts out. We're worshiping God. And, and so there's, there's all different expressions of that, and that's partly because we were created to be worshipers. We were created with this desire to love, to adore, to give a reverence or respect to who deserves it. And the reality is, the only one worthy of our worship is God. And so we worship because God deserves our worship. When you think about God, by his very character, the character of God to go back to the Hebrew, the word doxa, the character of God deserves our worship. The power of God deserves our worship. We think about our, our creator, the all-powerful of God who can heal, who created the world out of nothing by his very words, spoke it into existence. Because of God's power, he deserves our worship. Because of God's goodness, he deserves our worship. We have a God that's, that's good. Because of God's holiness, 
He deserves our worship. There's such a beautiful picture of that in Isaiah 6, right? Isaiah 6, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. And here's Isaiah, and he walks into the temple. And as he walks in, he sees angels. And he's in the presence of God. God is there in the temple. He sees him. And the angels have six wings. I mean, I'm, this has got to be the coolest thing ever. They're, they have six wings, and they're flying in the air, right? And with two of their wings, they're covering their face because the glory and the awesomeness and the holiness of God is so great that the angels can't stand to look. And with two of the wings, they're covering their feet because the feet were considered unworthy, dirty. And so they're covering their feet as to, as to insulate God from that. And with, with two of the wings, they're flying because that's what wings are for, right? And so they're there and they're, and they're singing and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because God's holiness deserves our worship. And Isaiah is so overwhelmed with the holiness of God that his immediate response is, does anyone remember? It's really good in the original language. It's oive eastmir. Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The holiness of God is so overwhelming that he's just struck and he's like, oh my goodness. And one of the angels takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips because that's the other part of God that deserves our worship, his grace. God's overwhelming grace in the midst of sin, God's natural response is to desire to forgive it. His holiness means that, that sin naturally separates us from, but God's love and grace made a way. And that's ultimately the, the reason we should worship God, because love, God's love is so amazing. He sends his son Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us to himself, to overcome the problem of sin. We worship God because he deserves it. His love is unfathomable. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't wait for us to clean up our act and say, okay, now it's okay, now I'll do something for you. No, God, in the midst of our sin and rebellion and turning away from him, God says, I'm going to send that which is most precious to me, my son Jesus, to die, to suffer, to take on your sin because I love you that much. So God, God deserves our worship because of love. Not only that, but God requires our worship. God requires our worship. In fact, um, he requires that we worship and we worship him only. The, we have ten commandments, right, of the big ten commandments. I mean, there's actually you know, 630-something Jewish laws, but 10 commandments, right? Three of them, of the 10, are directed to the worship of God. 
And really you could say four because you could throw, do not take the Lord's name because really his name is a, is a ability, a, a point of worship as well because especially in Jewish culture, a name was seen as so significant. God demands our worship. Martin Luther described worship as this. He basically broke it down into two parts. He said there's really only two things to worship. Thanksgiving and service. We worship God in thanksgiving because of all he's done for us, but ultimately mostly because of his grace. And then we worship God by serving. He believed that every part of the worship service was an act of worship. Not simply singing or not simply an offering, but every single part is an active act of worship. Either an expression of thanksgiving or an expression of service towards God. Other early theologians uh, in the Reformed tradition kind of came up with, with their thing. And, the, and their, the, it's not really different, it's just sort of a different approach to the same concept. And they, and they simply came up with this. Our primary purpose, or they said the chief end of man, the primary reason of our existence is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, the whole purpose of us being here is to worship God and enjoy him while we're doing it for all of eternity. That's why we exist. And so we worship God because God requires our worship. He deserves our worship. And because we were created to worship. So if we look at those things now, I want to dig into how, what does our worship actually look like? How do we do that? If we know that we were created to be worshipers, if we know that, that God, because of who he is and because of his goodness and because of his grace and ultimately because of his love, deserves our worship and he requires it of us, really the only question left is how do we do it? How do we go about giving God the worship that he deserves and requires? Well, firstly, we look at the scripture we read, and, and we're called to worship God in spirit and in truth. So one of the ways we do worship God is with our emotions. We worship God with our emotions, our feelings. And that's kind of the, the picture you get of, of the ladies screaming for the Beatles, right? That's largely an emotional thing. I don't think people are thinking intellectually, boy, that Ringo. Let me tell you the 17 great things Ringo has about him. They're not, they're not doing that. They're like, ah! I don't know why I'm screaming, but I'm screaming. Right? And that's a purely an emotional response. And, and to worship only emotionally would be wrong. But emotions are an important part of our worship with God. That he deserves our passion, our heart. I love the story in uh, the Bible of, uh, you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob steals Esau's inheritance, and Jacob is the favorite of his mother, 
Rebecca, right? Rebecca loves Jacob, but dad kind of has, you know, Esau because he's tough and rugged and the firstborn. And, and so mom comes up with a scheme and ultimately Jacob steals Esau's inheritance. So obviously that makes Esau a little bit upset. So what does what is, what is, uh, Rebecca do? She sends Jacob away to a foreign land to protect him. She sends him away to protect him and he goes and he, he ends up in the, in the, working in the fields of this man named Laban. And as he's there, he gets there and once he gets there, he sees this young girl coming to get water. Right? You all remember this story from Sunday school? He sees this young girl coming to get water and he sees her and he's like, oh man, God, this is some of your best work right here. And he's like, I'm going to marry this girl. He is overcome with emotion. And he finds out it's actually the boss man's daughter. I'm sure he has a few second thoughts. But he goes to Laban and he says, I want to do whatever I can to marry Rachel. And Laban says, okay, you're going to work for seven years for free. And Jacob says, no problem. Because he's overwhelmed with emotions. Right? See, that's the thing about when we worship God with emotions. Emotions lead us to actions. How many of you have done something dumb because of emotions before? Everyone raise your hand. Come on. It was a hypothetical question. How many of you lied because you were in church? You didn't want your pastor to know. All right, we all do things. Emotions lead to actions. And so we worship God with our emotions, with our hearts. And so Jacob says, yes, I will sign up to work seven years because this girl is so beautiful. And I love her. And you know the rest of the story. He gets there and, and old Laban does a little trick because technically the older daughter is supposed to get married first culturally. And she's not quite as, she's she's. I mean, we can't say she's not God's best work because we're all God's best work, right? But she's God's best work in other ways. It turns out she's really good at making kids, right? And so he, he does the old bait and switch, and, and Leah is behind the veil. And Jacob marries her, and he's like, oh, you tricked me, Laban. I'm sure he said other things too, but they're not in the Bible, right? And so he's like, okay, I, but that first girl, let's figure this out. So he works seven more years. Listen, I love my wife, but 14 years of work for free? Man. Emotion. And we're called to love God, to worship God with our hearts, to pour out our hearts as an offering to God. And that's, what, that's part of what our worship is, but it's not all. You see, sometimes I think we think worship is strictly an emotional experience, but it's not. It's emotional, but it's also intellectual. We worship God with our minds. And that's what Martin Luther meant when he said every single word uttered in a service is worship to God. That's why the early church had liturgy. Because they crafted every single word specifically. 
And so as we go through liturgy, and I hope this is what we do, congregation, that as we are going through liturgy, as we're saying a creed, as we're reading things from the green book or on the screen, as the case may be, we're thinking and ascribing worship to God. When we go through the order of forgiveness, we're to engage with that with our minds, and that's how we worship God. Not to check out. When we go through, and it's tough, I know. We, when we say the Apostles' Creed, actually we're doing Nicene Creed today, so it's a new one. All right. But when we say the creeds, think about what you're saying. You're ascribing qualities to God and you're worshiping him in that way. That's what we're called to do. To worship God not simply with our hearts and emotions, but also with our minds. We worship God with our minds as well. One of the ways we do that is by reading his word, right? I've talked about this. This is a, as a love letter from God. When you dig into this book and you read it and you study it, that's an act of worship. That's ascribing goodness to God that he alone deserves. We also worship God with our lives. And in a sense, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, because this is all of everything we do. As the, as the early Reformed Church said, and I mentioned, it's, it's our, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's not simply on Sunday mornings at church or when we're at a Bible study. That means that we are to worship God in all of our life. In everything we do. If you will, open your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. It's a familiar couple of verses, but again, one of our aspects of worship is by opening his word and reading it. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. Now, I want to stop right there. Because, you've, and you've heard this before, anytime there's a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is it there for? Well, Paul is referring back to what he just taught the church in Rome, which is the faithfulness of God through the years. He's just gone through talking about God's goodness, God's grace, how he has extended this to the world. And so, verse 12, as a result of God's amazing love, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, he's saying it again, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. So Paul's saying true worship is part of what Martin Luther said, right? It's service. True worship is when we recognize God's incredible love for us and we say, Exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, right? He sees this picture. He goes in. There's angels worshiping God. He's struck by his sin. He experiences God's forgiveness for his sin. And then God says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response 
Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Because that is worship. Isaiah didn't break out into song, right? The angels were already handling that. I'm sure they sang way better than Isaiah. He didn't start telling God about God's goodness. Either of those things would have been appropriate. Instead, Isaiah says, here am I, God. Send me. He doesn't ask where God wants him to go. He simply says, my life is yours. That is worship. Paul is reminding us of that truth. He's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. He goes on, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we're created to be worshipers and we have a, we have a tendency to worship created things. We have a tendency to allow our worship to go to the wrong places. But all true worship only goes one place. Not to that which is created, but to the creator, God. And so Paul says, don't fall into the patterns of what's going on. Don't get caught up worshiping relationships or success. or popularity, or fame, or power. But worship God. Transform your mind. Think the right way. Remember God's incredible love for you. And give your life back in response as worship. God deserves our worship. His goodness his holiness, his justice, his power, and ultimately his love. When we grab hold of that, when we think about that, we pour out our hearts to God and worship him with our emotions. We think the right things about God and we worship him with our, with our minds and our thoughts. And ultimately, like Isaiah, we stand before God and say, God, here am I. Send me.